everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. Technical difficulties, we're on five minutes late, but we are here regardless. I am your host as always, Timuchin, and with me today is our usual trio. Galley is with us. Galley, what's happening? Not too much, gentlemen. Happy week. Football's back. Arsenal loses. Everything's good. Everything is good, actually. It has been like a ridiculous... I had one of those rare, awesome sporting weekends where every single freaking team I rooted for won. But I know we can't say that for those people who root for the Lions. Hey, Bickler, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? <laughs> Sup, dog? Don't choose your family. <laughs> Fact. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to bring up the Lions in there. But yeah, painful moments, I'm sure. Okay, so we have a lot to cover. But we, before we even get to the trivia, those of us who are watching us live can see that Bickler is already in mourning. And I kind of felt, as a Liverpool fan, as a fan of Premier League, uh, especially, or all the other teams except Manchester United, I figured we start the podcast with a moment of silence as we have lost Ole from... Premier League. So let's just do a short moment of silence for a big loss to all the teams. Thank you. That was, I, I'm holding back tears over here. Bickler, uh, walk us through it. I can barely talk. I mean, I was just woke up, you know, on a normal weekend morning, just hoping for a nil nil draw. Next thing you know, you lose the best man in your life. <laughs> I don't know what to tell. I I mean, I don't know. I do it feel can, like can he's so cruel to... sometimes, Gally. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, he 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 arguably is probably brought the second most amount of joy in the last eighteen months to Liverpool fans outside of like clop hugging eighteen year old, you know, kids who look like thirteen year olds as they're about to walk onto the pitch for their, you know, to start their career. And I love the idea that Klopp is betting in 18-year-old kids who had no idea they would get a shot in, like, random games. And Ole is throwing on Sancho at halftime and, like, begging him to smile as he walks on the pitch. And, like, they paid $90 million for that guy. And we probably got more out of Tyler Morton in seven and a half minutes of his debut than they picked up since they signed him, which kind of makes me laugh but also makes me sad because it's really why Ole's not there anymore. It is sad. Actually, I'll tell you guys this. You know, I talked about, you know, the black sheep in the family, my brother before, who was a United fan. And those were some good times watching those. And no time has been better than since the 5-0 win. He does not like to bring up anything regarding Premier League and make <laughs> make sure the subject goes <laughs> elsewhere. Like, we share soccer stuff, and we do a podcast together for actually for I watch it back home. And, you know, like, we'll send us stuff. And then people like sidestep or just ignore anything that's Premier League related. But he was actually saying when it was 2-1, they were like, hey, we're not going to tie this game up. Let's just make sure freaking Ole is gone and they let two more in. Because really, I don't know if the score was 2-1. He would still be with us right now. I almost feel like the fourth goal was what truly did him in because it just proved that guy's just literally quit. I mean, how about the fact that he gave a high five to his captain after he got a red card? Nice red. He literally gives him a high five walking off the pitch. You're like, you're like, what? I mean, I remember. I mean, you can point the finger at so many things. You can point the finger at so many things. I mean, I mean, for me, what did it is tying up $90 million in two players who average the same age as me, which is ridiculous. Like, I mean, and then, you know, one of those guys just happens to handcuff you in a way where the ball no no longer runs through your best player. Like, I mean, yep. it's just like the amount of money that's been flushed into transfers at that club, and which essentially is just a vacuumous black hole, is ridiculous. Like, they've routinely made players like Di Maria and his prime – and reduce them to nothing, no matter who the manager is. It's right. incredible. It's, it's, I, it is it's it's literally where players come to die. 
Um, yeah. And you can ask Vanderbeek that. And that was the only funny thing about that. <laughs> so he comes on and he scores. Which I, I don't I don't know. That and was I got crazy. a good kick out of that. What is crazy, though, is like if you hear the reports out of Manchester, some of the reporters are talking about like the players he wanted, like the players he outlined at different times and would like actually say, like, these are guys I want. These are people I think we should make moves for. Like they did nothing of what he actually asked for. Like he wasn't the one who chased Sancho. He didn't think Sancho was needed because he thought he had Martial and Rashford on the wings and didn't think he needed them. Like they went and got him Sancho. Supposedly he didn't want Ronaldo, but he knew he couldn't fight it once the machine started it. So I almost feel like he got the job because they needed someone to take over as a caretaker, just like they need now. Then he did something which was amazing, which was he put a little bit of life into him after Mourinho, and they played well for a month and a half, two months, and they did so well they had to offer him the job. Then Rashford makes the penalty at PSG last year, saves him again. He gets the full-time extension, and then it all fell apart because they bought him bad players. I mean, you know, if you believe what they say, he went to the board a week after he was hired and said, if you sign this Holland kid from Salzburg, I had him at mold. We will be on the trajectories, the next big thing. You know what they told him? $10 million is too much for a kid from Austria. And they turned down the opportunity to sign Holland. And he went to Dortmund. See, I don't know. Like, with those, I don't know. It's more of like a whose PR department is better or who has better PR people or who are people in the media. Because especially with a lot of his buddies being in the media, I don't know where, you know, like he didn't. I Definitely Ronaldo was a move where so, you know, City doesn't get him. Like, it was like, you know, it was more like the Glazers and the club trying to save face. And Sancho could have been too. Like, you know, oh, big splash signing. And it did quiet down the fans a lot when they got those guys and they had really high hopes, but then they had this guy. I mean, he will be missed. Uh, is the, so the only good thing is, you know, Darren is uh, saying, you know, all well, they should have been gone in the summer. You know, I don't have a plan as of now. Carrick is the interim manager. Yeah, so now the dream is for Carrick to have a good run of games here. He can start with beating Chelsea and stuff. Let's get like five, six games. Let's get Rio Ferdinand out there saying, Pay the man what he wants, sign the check and stuff. Let's get Carrick out there for like, you know, a couple of years. That would be great. That would be the next zero, comedy. Zero chance. That's a really, I was going to say, that's a really positive, like, mental outlook on that. I love that. It's like, you know, what do you do when your dog dies? You get a new puppy. Like, I mean, we got to <laughs> just, we just got to find a new, we have to find a new puppy. So I like that. Sorry, guy. I know. I, I just, I think there's zero chance. I think I've been saying it forever. I've been saying it in Discord. Like, don't worry, they're just waiting to fire Ole until PSG fires Poch. That shit is done, guys. He is the next manager of Manchester United, whether it's this year when PSG gets knocked out of the Champions League and they hire him, or in the summer when he negotiates a buyout to get out. He's miserable. He hates the players there. And Zidane turned them down because he's made it clear he either wants the PSG job or the French national team job. He wants to live in Paris. He wants that lifestyle. So I, I, I think the writing on the wall is it's Pochettino next. And the real question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? If they had hired him when they should have, before Jose, it probably would have all worked out and they'd have Harry Kane wearing number nine right now at Manchester United. I, just, I mean, you look at their like squad, they should be playing a lot better. There's a lot of, of really good players in there. And I know like there's some areas they don't have anybody in there's some areas they have access in but yeah i mean like darren says whoever takes over and i don't know if they can go at almost like three quarters of a season with an interim manager i don't think that's gonna fly so they either have to make that pochettino thing work i just don't think they can wait for him till summer but i'm sure they're gonna have to lose a lot of money now on people they signed and then they're gonna have to spend another ton of money signing new people but Let's talk a lot about money since we have Bickler here, who's our resident. I mean, if you're following the podcast for a while, you know that Bickler is Mr. Peacock. He has spent countless hours defending Peacock online. And nobody is probably happier than you, right, Bickler, that NBC was able to secure the Premier League contract. 
there was a lot of talk about ESPN and stuff. I just don't know if that was something that Premier League threw out there to, you know, have NBC commit more and stuff. But you have got to be a hampy camper, right? Hey, listen, every man needs a mission and the mission remains the same. I live to fight another day. I'm, you know, like I've already taken this back online uh, for a lot of people. But uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I am glad. I don't think CBS could have taken additional broadcast on. Uh, ESPN's commentating crew and coverage of the sport is has not been the best. Uh, I, aside from Tim Howard, NBC's commentating cast, I think is pretty good. Um, I was a big fan of their Premier League channel when they had it, and you know that'll be back in some capacity. It's going to be spread across more cable channels, um, and then they'll condense the rest down to the Peacock. You know, obviously Peacock has room for improvement uh, as an actual app interface um but i think we're so like so much in the infancy of, of streaming but that's the case for any service like i have a i have a bunch of them dude the worst one has the best content hbo's app is impossible to navigate and in fact <laughs> a buddy of mine who i went to high school with is an app, like an app developer that works for hbo and he left the project and he makes fun of it all the time um it's a horrible interface. Uh, Paramount's not much better. So, I mean, there, there are things like, obviously there are improvements that can be made. We'll see what happens, but overall I'm glad that it's at NBC because I think they do provide a good broadcast. I was happy personally too, because I do like that. And I'm afraid of it's going to ESPN. Cause I mean, ESPN broadcasts can be very painful and very cringy. Like NBC Sports does some stuff at times, you know, that is, I find cringy. Uh, but ESPN is like nonstop cringe uh, in any sports broadcast, especially like in football and stuff like that. Uh, so I was happy with it. I mean, I get it free. That's another reason to be happy for, I guess. But uh, through like Xfinity, because I have Xfinity and it's free. And I know when you use it through Xfinity, Peacock is pretty freaking painful to use it's so damn slow like you can literally turn it on pick what you want go make coffee come back hopefully the game should be on by then kind of a deal like i'm not even exaggerating i mean mind you like i use an espresso so it doesn't take that long to make coffee but we're talking at least a minute before that thing says loading i do find it a lot faster online so i'm assuming that has to be with the xfinity interface but I was personally glad it didn't go to BJ, which we have to get a eventually get the backstory from BJ, who's one yes. of our newer contributors, and he hates NBC with a passion. He was like yep. anybody but NBC. But what do you think, Gally? Like, I mean, were you happy that NBC kept it? Did you want ESPN or did you want to change? Well, I guess I should say. I mean, I, I, you know, as someone from the Northeast who grew up with literally ESPN in their backyard, like we refer to them as the four-letter network for a reason. Um, starts with F, ends with K, and, you know, it's my favorite word. Um, but it, it makes absolutely no sense for ESPN to get it, not just because of their coverage. It has more to do with how they handle their coverage. Like, they just do too much cross-promotion. And I think for a sport like soccer in the United States, you can't cross-promote all your other avenues. And they would have done that. They would have been, like, literally – throwing LeBron James down your throat and the NBA preloads. They would have been having Monday night football um, highlight reels at halftime. And that's what breaks, in my opinion. That's what I think NBC has done a nice job and NBC Sports has done is that they've almost recognized that like Saturday and Sunday mornings are for the Premier League and everything else is on the online content. And the B-rolls and the different stuff they've prepared. I'm with Paul. I really liked the channel. I liked all of the kind of Peacock and NBC sports-centric stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to have to figure out with you because I went to watch a match this weekend and couldn't. And I don't understand it because I pay Comcast what I believe is like everything but my firstborn child every month. Yet I still was told my package does not equate to the free Peacock premium subscription, which I don't understand because I took out a second mortgage last month to pay my cable bill. So I'm not sure why I don't get it, but I'll have to figure that out myself or just figure out what plan you have team so I can figure out how to get it for free. But honestly, if I have to pay 50 more dollars to watch eight more Premier League matches than they get to watch in England a year, I'll pay that 50 bucks a year. And I understand hating NBC for whatever 
reason. Maybe he hates liberals or he hates Lauren Michaels and Saturday Night Live. I don't know. Whatever it is that he hates NBC for, ultimately, at the end of the day, I pay a lot more to watch American sports. <clears throat> this is a sport that's like a luxury for us. And in the 80s, when I wanted to watch this, it was literally like watching porn through a grainy ass TV. So, like, I, I don't understand why people think today's football viewing is poor because we have to pay a little bit. I feel like we get it cheap, honestly. I mean, the thing is, whoever got it, you would have to pay to get it because they're not going to pay a bazillion dollars to the Premier League and just give it to you for free. No, there's no Robin Hood in media. So either way, we were going to have to pay. I just feel more confident, I guess, with NBC's coverage compared to ESPN's coverage. So I was okay with it because I, I was just afraid of how rough it would get because we have seen it in the past so i see you guys very comfortable almost in a pleasant mood here and it really irks me so i know we're missing something and here we go that's what we're missing so Man, whenever, we're clear. whenever i see you guys too freaking happy it's time to knock that shit out so let's start with the trivia and then we'll get to the arsenal game and kind of like get a look ahead to the week which will feature a game against porto so I actually had like an awesome uh, trivia thing that I found during the weekend, but then I don't know where the hell I saved the information. So we're going with this one. See, you guys might not like trivia because you guys can't guess you're right, but our listeners do because David Cosgrove is already asking what the question is. Here we go. So we're playing Porto this week in Champions League, which we'll talk about the lineup and stuff like that coming up. In a little bit here. So we played against Porto nine times in these European championships. Can you guys tell me in these past nine games how many goals we have scored, how many goals they have scored? Closest one wins. Of course, Pickler, obviously, I don't even know why you wait, but we're starting with you, so... I'm just going to wait for Cosgrove's answer to pop up in the, <laughs> the, the comment section so I can figure out how far away I am. The good thing uh, is I know Cosgrove can correct. So. No, I'm going to I'm going to go Oh fuck. I'll go 24 goals scored. No, I'm going to go 21 goals scored, 6 conceded. Okay. Wow. That's that's classic. As you said, that Cosgrove types in 24, which makes me think it's probably right. I'm going to go – I'll go under that, I guess. What would you go, 24 and 6, Paul? Is that what you went? No, you want 21 and 6. 21 and 6. It's eight games? Nine games. Ooh. So I'll go up. I'll go uh, – I'll go 23. Three and three. Damn. I, I was like, I was shocked because I'm going to have to freaking broadcast over here or end the trivia session for good. Uh, but no, mighty close over here. BJ says 21 and four. Cosgrove says 24. And then he says four conceded. The four conceded is correct. We did have four goals conceded. You were mighty close, and you were dead on with the goal scored, which is 23. So Galley wins and leaves Bickler in shame. But don't worry, Bickler, because we have something that will leave our friend Galley in shame over here. Gosh. Before we go to the this weekend's games, uh, the game against Arsenal and stuff like that. Ugh. Let's take a quick peek at fantasy, shall we? Fantasy football break. <laughs> Sorry. Our team, I, I'm just basically calling this our team, Bickler. I mean, we might as well yeah. just join forces at this point. We're not going to win Jack. Anyway, yep. uh, Kelly is still top of the league and had 82 points this week. And, you know, in a week like this, you would think somebody who gets 81, right, had like a kick-ass week, should have gained grounds and almost maybe take the lead. But no, suckers, 81 points that Galley gets is not good enough. Galley increases the lead. I mean, Kelly increases the leads, has 839 points. Dan Bennett, by the way, who's right behind her, had 86 points this week which is mighty good. We have to scroll down to find out where the hell we are, Bickler. I am at 52 
with 75 oh, that's, this week. Oh, and there I, it say, there I say I have passed Bickler. No, you haven't. I have not really. Damn it. I was no. hoping I did. You haven't passed me. Come on. No, oh, exactly. He's one point behind. ahead of you. It Way ahead of you. Behind. Unnecessary pet drama, which we'll talk one day about why we have called that team. why he has called that team on this is a pet drama it is the stupidest it's so thing ever. it is so bickler so i guess we might as well cover it so bickler and i were talking uh, as we annually visit oh outer banks with my family and then you know we like share it with another family as well uh angie's relatives actually and then their daughter comes and he has they have like a german shepherd and, and that guy is that thing is like a freaking beast, by the way. It's just ridiculous. Whips around his tail like a freaking. So anyway, so I was telling Victor about that. So who visited us in the house, actually. And I told him that, you know, like they bring the dog. Obviously, we bring Stitch. Everybody who listens to the podcast, I'm sure, knows Stitch by now. Uh, so we bring Stitch. And there's like a lot of tension because Stitch, even though he can only lick people to death, uh, wants to get protective of the household, you know, doesn't want another dog hanging out with the girls or us and stuff, wants to be the one on the top floor or whatever. And their dog is the same way. And they have like a little baby now. So he's protective. So I told him there's like a lot of uh, growling and, you know, one upstairs, one divided. So I told him there's a lot of unnecessary pet drama <laughs> in the house when we go there. And this, I'm telling you, I told him this it's in so freaking good. June or May. <laughs> So the fantasy league what starts in like August, and he's like, "Oh, you gotta check out my team name," and he has named this freaking team "Unnecessary Pet Drama." I mean, if you well, know, on, on a side note, I think there's a really good like Disney narrative in here too. On a side note, can you imagine like this? Is what a good friend Timuchin is. Can you imagine inviting me to meet your extended family? <laughs> like. I mean, what, I, like I was like, dangerously. What do you got? Yeah, I'm sponsored. I'm, oh, this is somebody I'm sponsoring. <laughs> it was, it's, a, it's a pretty ballsy move. So it's, it's part of his rehab. We're his, yeah. we're, hey, we're your real life therapist over here. I, so why not? I got to give Kelly credit. She came up with clap back, like as a joke, like clap back. And I was like, oh, that's not bad. That's a good one. And last year, she was unathletical buck, and that's her maiden name. And that was an outstanding one, like unathletico buck, because she's one of those people that always said, like, I didn't play sports or didn't want to play sports. I thought that was actually couldn't be outdone until she started beating me. And then I was like, you know, you could just go back to like Kelly's club or something squirrely and crappy. But to be totally fair, she's not just winning our group. She's literally like 13,000 in the whole world out of like 8.6 million people, which is kind of ridiculous. And she reminds me on a daily basis. She's not just 13,000 in the world. She is first in this house. I imagine like, like Kelly walking around your house and you're like behind her with like that curling broom, just scrubbing like behind her as she walks. <laughs> like, I feel like, I mean, this is, she's definitely on her perch right now. I mean, this is good stuff. I would like, yeah, she, she should go oh, around oh, with the yeah, jersey yeah, yeah, one, and like you can go around with a jersey that says, Whatever the hell you're at. What are you at, by the way? Are you even close, Galley? Uh, like 40, 50 away. Oh, you're like seventh, but yeah, way behind. I actually one of our contributors, Matush, is in the chase 13th. But yeah, I'm just trying to catch Bickler and rooting for Kelly. So let's go back now that I had my fun with trivia and fantasy. Let's go back to business. Uh, talk about, we'll start with the weekend first. Uh, I think the lineup we talked about on the last podcast about, you know, how difficult it was to kind of figure out what the lineup would be, because obviously we do it on Mondays and we didn't know who the hell was going to be coming back healthy and things like that. I mean, I don't think we had a lot of problems with the lineup. I knew per our podcast last weekend, the moment I saw the lineup, I went online and put in a Discord channel that this was a great opportunity for us. <laughs> I tried to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so let's start with that big like why do we not have an american scouser shirt that has that on it <laughs> oh or like make one where you can just kind of like rip it like it says yes. it says kata yes. <laughs> it <costs> oh. <laughs> or, 
we can't make those now where you can write it with the chalk. So we'll put on top, <laughs> yeah. like this is a brick code routine, and you can just write with chalk, like whoever the name is that day. But let's go with let's start with Ox. I thought, you know, I heard both from like different ends, and I don't know if that's because people are semi-biased about Ox in general or what, but uh, what did you make of his performance, Pickler? Because I think it was a great opportunity for him, like I say, always say. <laughs> you, you asshole. How do you think he's uh, with it? <laughs> uh, so, yes, I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about bias with Ox, right? Because I think people are either convinced he's an injury-prone waste of money or they're convinced he's a diamond in the rough and can be an elite player. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I thought he had a great game. Um, from getting back defensively, defensively inside of the first 15 minutes to make that big stop, all yep. the way down to his offensive position going forward throughout the match. His work rate was good. He was in the right positions. He was playing half spaces naturally, which he hadn't done in a while. Cautiously optimistic. And I say that because we've been here before with Ox. We have said, oh, he's on the ascendancy. That was a great match. This is it. You know, and I hear this argument all the time where, like, he needs a he's a player that needs a run of games. I mean, we can say that about just about anybody who's trying to break into a, a starting 11, right? And I think we, if we're going to make that argument, um, it doesn't matter if he needs a run of games if he has durability issues, right? So, I mean, like, needing a run of games and having durability issues is a fucking, like, death circle for me. Like, like I mean, one's, one's going to give, right? And, and I think, like, I think the opportunity for him is now. Like, I think it's it's now. Given how thin we are in midfield um, and, and needing help in the front three, too, I think it's going to free him up more. Um, his opportunity to get back in is now. Um, and I would love – I hope he does. I hope he gets it because I think he offers something different than any of our other midfielders in the fact that he is a direct on-pace ball threat and he has a long ball shot in him. He can hit it from distance, and he's like Joto, where he likes to take people on. Uh, but overall, yeah, very pro like probably his best performance uh, since pre-injury. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was great. I think the only thing to go with, you know, like Cosgrove was saying, and I've actually heard him say this before in the LFC America group too, that he needs a run of games. I know what you're saying, Bickler. I think with Ox. The difference comes from because you're right. You can say that with, I mean, you can say that for Divac. You can say that for freaking anybody. Uh, but I think with him, when he comes off the bench or when he gets this like rare opportunity where I can go on Discord and say, "Hey, this is a great opportunity for him," it's like he knows that too. He's like, "I bet you Tim is saying this is a good opportunity for me," and I think that kind of like someone would like stresses him where. He almost like tries too hard to show that he belongs there, and I think that affects his game. I felt like this weekend he felt it felt more he was playing in the flow, he wasn't forcing things, you know, he was taking people on when he needed to, but then he was, you know, circulating the ball when he needed to as well. He wasn't forcing things that much. I think with him, that runoff games galley kind of helps his psyche or how he approaches the game, which kind of helps his game be a lot more productive. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And to Cosgrove's point, like, I don't know that he needs five, six, seven games in a row because I think you have to earn that. You get that. But I agree with you to the point that I, I felt like last year, especially after the injury, when he finally got time to play with the first 11, every time he got back on the pitch, he was trying to be the guy who was the fourth leading scorer the year we won the title. He was trying to be the guy who scored the – the brace in the city game at home and made everyone go, Holy shit. What do we have? Like, and every time he was trying to do that it, within seven minutes of being on the pitch, he was trying to make up for all the time he was out. And I feel like to Cosgrove's point that the three straight matches and playing, I think he's played 20 or more minutes in five of the last seven Premier league matches, which is a lot for him at this moment. Um, I think it's making up for the terrible performance against Norwich. Because to be totally honest, after I watched that first half against Norwich, I was like, bye. January can't come fast enough. Ox should play for West Ham, and it will be brilliant. And I'm not saying I was right about that, but it was what I had seen for a year and a half and made me think it wasn't going to change. And Curtis Jones was here, and Elliot was here, and there were younger and better options, including – 
other high price players like Kata and other people we'd invested in. I feel like now we're in that moment. We need him. And I think he literally has the next five and a half to six weeks to step up and give himself a position in this squad for the rest of the year. And I think he will earn that spot. And I think he'll be playing a lot more meaningful minutes between now and the end of the season. And I think I do agree with Cosgo who says, you know, like playing with Fab and Thiago obviously has to help him out, but he has played in midfields with, you know, Fab and Henderson and stuff. I, you know, I don't think that's as much of an issue as to him getting in the flow of the game and becoming more comfortable when he was, I mean, like I say, the year we won the title, I think it's really overlooked how much he had contributed in terms of goals, assists, and like attacking wise. And I know, like I say, we know his defensive, normally his defensive, but this week, I mean, that was one thing that his work rate, defensive work rate was like off the charts and probably realizes that, you know, uh, that's what he needs to do to earn the spot you're talking about, Galley. So in terms of like the lineup, Bickler, let's go back to the lineup. Uh, any surprises for you or any complaints? Yeah, I mean, for me, this was probably the lineup that should have been out there. I mean, really, there wasn't a lot of alternatives. I didn't know if yeah. there would be more rotation. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Arsenal not letting a lot of goals in and stuff like that. And they really kind of like shot themselves in the foot and i remember like during the live discord chat which by the way we keep talking about this and if you're wondering what it is just comment on the broadcast either in lfc america or on our page and we can send you an invite so you can join our discord channel with the fan chats where we kind of like talk during the game even during the week uh nerds like you know galley and, and stuff talk about fantasy non-stop uh so a lot of tips there there was even some food talk going on the other day which doesn't help my diet but uh so yeah just uh, if you want to join the group uh, just let us know and we can send you an invite as we would like to get it growing as we go a lot of good conversation there so uh going back to like you know like arsenal I, I even said it during the game. It felt like we were having trouble opening them. They were set very well defensively. But Galley, you could almost tell, even with Ramsdale just playing out of his mind, the way they were still trying to force the play from the back. And I don't think they are that good to be able to do that like a City or, you know, like a Chelsea. They kept trying it and you kind of knew that's where our chances were going to come from, which most of them did, right? Yeah, I think when, when our high press works, teams have to be smart enough to kick the ball long. And we had <coughs> really good energy from the rip in that game. We had good movement. You know, Arsenal had a couple shots or a couple opportunities early in that match where they were, you know, looked like they might be able to kind of hit us on the counter. They had that one break with, a, uh, I think it was Aubameyang overran the ball and then they had the offside call. But really a team like that can't play out of the back against us. And I'm sorry, you know, the English people can get all excited and hot and lathered about Ben White. But the idea that Arsenal paid $55 million for Ben White and we paid $36 million for a mountain in Kanate sitting on the bench who has more speed, more skill on the ball, and more technique and class, it just blows my mind. Like, really – and then you look around the rest of that back line. They, I mean, the Tavares guy just absolutely looked like he had no idea what to do with Mo. He was nervous on all fronts. You know, it, it, it showed, honestly. You know what happened? It looked like the game would be good for five, ten minutes. And as soon as Arteta lost his mind on the touchline, you knew that was basically him waving a white flag. They were done. Because he basically was screaming like he wanted a red card for something that was barely a bump of a shoulder against someone's head. There was nothing of malice in it. And he lost his mind because he knew they were so far behind and he did the worst thing ever. It actually woke up the crowd, woke up the manager, woke up the whole club. And the next thing you know, it's two and good night delights. I mean, yeah, I, David Cosgrove earlier was saying like his man of the match was like Ox. Uh, my man of the match was Arteta. Cause really, if he doesn't do that, I can see that first half just kind of, the whole game was kind of on a lull. Anfield was kind of on a lull. And I know sometimes the, I thought this was a perfect example of, you know, we always say the team kind of has to bring the crowd into it. And that's partially true. 
But you could see in this game, with that you know thing going on the sideline, the crowd brought the team into the game and really became a force. And that was the biggest thing because I could have seen that game kind of going at a lull till halftime. And then we're like, you know, tightening up in the second half, trying to get a goal and stuff like that. And just not being as smooth as it would be, but him doing that and us getting that goal afterwards with that, you know, kind of like the, the push from the fans kind of like sealed the deal. So I put that on Arteta. Who was your man of the match, by the way, Bickler? I wouldn't go Ox. I mean, for me, it was probably Trent. Uh, for me, it was probably Trent. Just, uh, I mean, he's had like 18 assists in three games, it feels like. But uh, just his quality down that right side, I mean, for both the first and the last goal, um, I think you could probably – I thought Sadio had a good match. You know who I quietly thought had a really good match was Fabinho. I thought he was like absolutely That's- devastatingly like efficient back there. He just swept everything up, kept the structure, hit the huge diagonals. I thought he had a really good game. But, yeah, I'd probably – so one guy I want to talk about that you mentioned over there is Mane, because it kind of goes with this Arteta thing as well, where we are seeing more and more. We kind of saw it with Atletico Madrid, and now we see it here that, you know, teams are kind of like trying to get in his head and almost like picking on Mane. And that's what got Klopp going as well, because really it was more than what Arteta did. I think it was more how our sideline reacted to it that got the whole thing going. Uh, it wasn't. It was just Arteta like complaining about a call, but it was more than that. It was like how we reacted because yeah. we were kind of fed up with kind of running into it all. And honestly, he had. A, I thought he had a brutal start to the game, like just poor first touches, horrible passing, and stuff like that. And then kind of like kept growing into it. What do you make of like Mane's season so far and this whole mind game thing, Gally? Well, I think there's two parts to it. I think Mane's season statistically has been really good. He's scoring goals. He's creating goals. Um, he's playing like usual almost every minute of every match. And when you sit him, he's ready to literally pull out a knife out of his boot and stab someone over it, which is what I want in any player on my side. I want him fighting to be on the pitch. That said, I've seen a petulance in him that makes me nervous because it's looked to me two, three times like he could see red. He could have saw red against Atletico in both sides of the legs. He could have. He could have gotten two yellows, and he could have gotten a straight red for the elbow in the first half of the first game against Trippier, which is clear as day. This, these two have things going maybe all the way back to when Mane was at, you know, Southampton and, and Trippier was in Burnley. No, it, it looks like they have a real yeah. row going between them, and they fed into that. And I think that they were trying to bait him in – the Arsenal match. And I, I think that is something you have to be careful of. But then again, when you have a player that plays on the edge like that, you love them when they're your guy and you hate them when they're somebody else's. And I'm pretty sure if Sadio Mane played for City or United, he would be the guy we would hate for how talented he is and for the way he acts on the pitch at times. But he's our guy, so it's easy to support it, right? And I think other clubs see that and they understand there aren't many mentally, I don't want to call them weak. There aren't many players that you can get to mentally make a mistake on Liverpool. And I think Sadio Mane is one of the few players who at any moment can see red. And I think people are starting to target that. Yeah, I mean, it's been an off season for him because, I mean, obviously, if you just looked at, like you're saying, the stats, he's had a good year. But you see in games, you cannot argue about his work rates. I feel like, and that's like some of the cars he sees and stuff is usually from his defensive work rate and his press and stuff like that. But what do you take it of as like a season so far, Big Clear? I mean, like you say, the beginning of this game, and it was so much like it because I even told my wife, you know, I was like watching it. She was walking by. I'm like, man, mine is having like a stinker so far. It's just like some poor passes and stuff like that. I'm like, what the heck? It's so unlike him. Like some poor first touches when he was controlling the ball and things like that. And then, you know, next time 
she walks by like we're up one zero and she's like who scored i was like well figures it's mine <laughs> so what do you make of a bickler i overall yeah i mean let's be real i like statistically great year i think if you're honest about it and you've seen all the matches and you've actually evaluated his play you'd say he's far from his best like right. this is probably his worst year in at least four or five seasons and like if like I think, Timichi, you hit it on the, the the nail on the head when you're talking about the beginning of this game. Like, his first touch has looked like he's had two hammers for almost a year now. Like, um, and whether that's fatigue, um, I, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I think his work rate does save him. Uh, I don't have, like, to Galley's earlier point, like, if I was on another team, I don't know that I'd hate Sadio Mane apart from the fact that he's good. Like his his attitude do, w- wouldn't bother me as an opposing fan because I don't think he's nasty or does anything dirty to other teams, but I think he does have a tendency to be kind of petulant. Uh, like in terms of when he's not playing well, I think he can get an attitude, uh, whether it's being mopey or or sort of like snappy at people and being visibly frustrated. Um, yeah, for sure that happens, um, but. He is he is an interesting player with like a lot of uh, legitimate conversation about him because I think that he's had like he's having two very different years the year you see on paper and the year that we all all see from from knowing him over the course of his career. Yeah, maybe the bar is just set obnoxiously high for us because we know what he can do. I mean, he's like I mean, going back to what you're saying, Victor. Yeah, I mean, I would hate to play against him because. Uh, so unpredictable in what in terms of what he's gonna do. I mean, he can take you down the wing or he can suddenly turn to the middle. I mean, he can really do it all. And honestly, he does a lot of defensive work that enables us to sometimes, you know, like slack off on Salah's defensive work. Not that Salah doesn't do it, but it's kind of like the way we're laid out. We kind of give a bit more freedom to Mo in terms of like that being that single person. I mean, talk about first touch, like the goal that he assisted Salah in, like, oh. that was just a brutal touch. And thank God Ramsey was not out because he was wide open. And I thought he was just going to go. And that, the moment he had that touch that was like, I'm like, ah, no, it kind of like worked in our favor. He was able to, he was able to like recover great from that. But yeah, it's maybe like I say, we've been kind of used to more. And I think, as he gets these goals, I think that confidence on the old money is going to be back, which kind of brings me now to the Porto game. Because I know with the Porto game, uh, the biggest conversation is going to be who will be in the lineup. And we were talking before we went on air over here, and I strongly feel Mo or Mane will be out there and maybe taking turns because we know they want to, you know, they want to be out there. We don't want to risk him, but I feel like with you know, the available people we have, we will have one of them out there. And wouldn't it make sense, Gally, if we're picking one to have Mane out there? Because he feels, it feels like he's the one that needs the rhythm more than Mo. I, I would personally rather have neither of them out there. I do agree with you. I think one of them will be. And Jota is clearly going to get rested from the knock he took in the game, in the match. Um, so I would put Mane out there. I think Mo needs to be wrapped up in, cotton and wool and and not played until the next Premier League match, to be honest. He shouldn't appear in the Champions League, in my opinion, until the knockout round um, for me. I'd be mapping out his time. I'd probably start Mane, Taki, and Origi if he's available. And if I had to, I would start Mane, uh, Taki, and – well, thank you, David. I would start Mane, Taki, and even Ox up front if I had to, rather than – if Origi can't play, I'd rather not see um, Mo at any moment of the next two game weeks in the Champions League. What do you expect out of this lineup, Bickler? I mean, we kind of talked about, like I say, right before we went on air, that you know, club does like to keep one experienced or regular person in each line, like defense, midfield, and attacking. What do you expect? I know, especially you really hate the lack of rotation we did that got Jota injured. What was that, two seasons ago? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I think it's – Yeah, I mean, I've, all, I've thought it's an Achilles heel of Klopp for a long time that he plays with too small of a squad. That's the one edge I'd give Pep over at City. 
on him. Like he routinely manages a larger squad with efficiency and, and does it over the long haul. Um, I, you know, I'd honestly play the kids in the backups if I could. Um, I, that front three, if it were me, I would do a Riggy, Taki in a false nine and, and Kate Gordon. Um, I think we're going to uh, – Mane makes sense to me. I have a sick feeling that we're going to see Sala out there, and I, and it's going to be like something like a Riggy, Taki, Sala. Um, is what I think what I got a gut feeling we're gonna see. But I mean money makes sense to me if we're gonna put a vet there. I think we'll see Milner in the middle of the park somewhere. Um, hopefully to sort of like help out Tyler Morton. Yeah, Ox being in there would make sense. We could see him come in. Um in that back line. I mean, I, I hope I, it's it's got to be costless at left back, I would think. But the other thing, every every other position is up in the air. You know, is it going to be Kanate? That may that would make sense. But then who else? Gomez, I don't think Gomez is ready, which leaves Matip and Van Dyke, and you certainly don't want to see Van Dyke here. Um, so that makes me think Matip. And then at right back, you're looking at um, is Nico ready coming off the back of the whale start? Um, Nico makes sense, but I could also see Trent. I mean, we played Trent in the dead rubber last year in the Champions League, so it wouldn't surprise me if he starts either. Yeah, it's kind of scary. I am hoping, you know, we will see Nico out there and we will see a youngster instead of Ox in midfield just because even though we talked earlier about, you know, Ox getting a run of games and stuff like that, it's just we are so thin at midfield, cannot really risk. When I saw Hando come in towards the end of the game, that kind of told me that Hando was going to start this Porto game. Because that's something Klopp likes to do where, you know, like give them like 15, 20 minutes towards the end of the game. And then they start the next game kind of thing when somebody's coming back. I just get a bad feeling that that's what we're going to see. And I feel like we do not want to risk anybody in that midfield. I mean, but somebody has to kind of like lead that line. So I guess it could be Hendo and like rest Fab and uh Thiago maybe I don't know I just midfield is probably the one I'm worried about the most to be honest with you just because of our depth there right now heading over to the Southampton game so let's talk a little bit about this because uh the were talking about Costas uh like Robo got a big effort to get back in for me Costas has a lovely cross which he does and I know I'll start with you Victor because you've probably been the most critical of Robo out of all of us, maybe after me, Gally is the patient, nice guy usually. Uh, are we just being way too harsh on Robo and just kind of like being short-sighted in terms of like what a great player he is by even, you know, entertaining this conversation and not playing Cosgrove because I think it is a legitimate yeah. conversation because no. of what Costas has play. I mean, I, I don't think we are. I mean, it's. I think he's been so bad that I don't. I don't think that we are. It's interesting. I'll say this, right? And, and I'm a huge Costas fan, and I'll get to into that in a minute. Um, I, I'm all for the fact that no no position on any team is safe for anyone, no matter the caliber of the player, right? Well, I don't know about that because I feel I, it feels good when I say that out loud. But the reality <laughs> of it is, is I think there's three percent of players that probably should lose their position after being out of form for a certain period of time, and I think that Robo for me fits into that 3%. Like the fact that he is like an elite top level, arguably best left back on planet earth when he's in form. And let's be honest, he's been in form for about five years. Yep. So I'm not, in, I'm not ready to say that like he's got to win his job back yet because I still think it's his job. That being said, Costas has blown the doors off my expectations for what I thought he would be. I wanted a serviceable back that had energy, could get up and down the pitch, wasn't a vulnerability defensively, and could do okay offensively going forward. Well, turns out he's way better defensively than they thought he was. That's not much of a drop from Robertson to him defensively. And I would say offensively, he puts in a better ball than Robbo. He gets in dangerous positions in a much more natural manner than Robbo does. And in front of goal, He's probably more clinical. I don't think we've seen this volume of chances that Robertson's gotten in front of goal yet, but he he seems to be gifted going forward in general. His The whip on his ball in from the left is insane, and his corner kicks are some of the best corners in, in all of Europe. Like 
is just like it's got to be a dream like to be a center back going in and watching that ball come in it's got to be amazing uh i can't say enough good things about him i'm not there in terms of saying like robertson's got to win his job back but damn we're in a very fortunate position on that side of the pitch so galley let me throw you under the bus then make a case for robertson well, I can make. I a have case a thought in mind, but let's go with you first. I mean, I can make a case for Robertson because he's been exceptional for, like Paul said, the better part of three to five years. He's been arguably the best left back in the world, three full seasons, let's say, even four. Right. Um, the thing is this: I made the comment a couple of weeks ago on the pod, and it's only gotten better since. I think someone made it in the comments earlier. Chamikis has been on the pitch in all competitions, and we've outscored our opponents 18 to nothing. 18 to nothing. Like, that has to speak to something in a year in which we're conceding goals, whether we win, draw, or or uh, lose. We're conceding goals at an alarming rate, and I can think of five, six, seven of those that people have actually – you know, attributed directly to Robo playing people on side, which starts to make me think it has something to do with a little bit of fatigue, which is why I love seeing Costas start this match coming out of the international break. We all talk about how not every international break for every player is equal. And I think being the captain of a club like Scotland that needs to earn its right to play in a playoff for the first chance to make a World Cup in, what, 30 years? Is, is a big, big deal, and I think that adds extra pressure. And I think the fact that Klopp is finally starting to gain the confidence in a backup to let Robo get re-energized and earn his way back in, I don't believe he has lost his starting spot. I do believe he has a fight to make sure he holds on to it for the long haul. And I think that's really, really important. And, you know, we talk about him being the best left back in the world. Right now, you could argue he might be the fourth best left back in the Premier League because Cancelo, Chilwell, and arguably Shamikis are playing better than him through 11 matches. Yeah, I mean, Costas definitely has made a good case. I think the biggest thing I can think of is that I see difference when, you know, with Robertson compared to Costas is the fact the chemistry, obviously, they have with Mane they almost know where the other one is going to be, what they're going to do and stuff. You can kind of still see when that ball is on the left wing that these two are still getting used to each other. And obviously, the more they play together, the better that's going to get. Yeah, in some ways, you know, we've been talking about having somebody with experience in that back line. Why not make that Robertson as well and actually get him out there? This would be probably like a good opportunity for that as well. But... So, obviously, all this with in mind that we're playing Wednesday and then on Saturday we are going to play Southampton at home, which, you know, will be one of those games where we try to obviously, like, open them up and everything like that. So, what do you expect for that game, Bickler, in terms of a lineup difference? Do we have more of the same that we just saw? Because that will kind of determine, I guess, what we do. I would hope, at least... I know that's not how club functions, but I would hope that would affect how we line up on Wednesday, knowing we got really nothing to play for. I mean, what I would really hope is that we're, the core of the lineup is playing on Saturday, right? I mean, you've got you're looking at Allison Van Dyke, Kendo, and Sala. You know, I would hope that, that four would be locked into a Saturday start, and then you build around it with as much seniority as you can, right? I mean, hopefully. Uh, you know, I think there's a decision to be made with Costas and Rabo. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I mean, you'd obviously hope for Trent. Uh, you'd hope for Fabinho. You'd hope for uh, Thiago. Uh, Thiago, if he's is healthy, and, and, and Sadio, if he's fit. Um, I don't. The lineup obviously is going to be determined by somewhat what happens on on Wednesday, and I think that's the real kicker that we don't know about. So, Gally, let's see. For the midfield, let me ask you this, and then I'm going to get some score predictions from you guys. If those four are available for midfield, after the conversation we had about Ox and stuff like that, who are you putting as your midfield three right now? If Henderson is making his way into this Arsenal lineup, which I believe he will and I believe he should, 
who are you taking out? Is it Thiago or is it Ox? I would finally put out the midfield three we thought we would see from the Norwich match onward. And I would play Thiago, Hendo, and Fab. And I would do that with almost the exact same starting. I think the starting lineup Saturday against Southampton should be as close to the starting lineup, barring health and injury, as we just saw against Arsenal. Because I think at some point you have to start with a consistent group of guys each week that you build off of. And as guys earn their way in and and fight their way in through training and other matches, and maybe you're right. Maybe that does mean Robo, Robo gets the game on Wednesday and Shemekis gets another start in the league on Saturday. And, you know, maybe by the following Premier League game, Robo regains his spot at left back. I just, I think you have to start to play some guys through this holiday festive period and start to really compile some points and create a little bit of synergy because we do have a tight squad right now with, you know, with Jones out. And, and I know Paul mentioned Gordon. Gordon can't play in the Champions League, believe it or not. He's not on the roster, and he's not considered a homegrown because he's been with the club less than a year. So he's not allowed to play in the Champions League. And it's kind of an unfortunate part. I actually said the same thing today. I'll give Megan all the credit. She, of course, came up with stats and showed me a website that showed all the players who couldn't play. Uh, I just, like, normally just spewed out ideas that were completely infactual and wrong. Um so we probably need her to fact check the pod too, but uh, no, but you know, there, there are a lot of these youngsters. I'd love to see all of them play. You know, I'd roll out as many kids as possible against Porto. I know everyone says you need to have synergy and Klopp won't do it. Maybe he needs to learn from his own mistakes then. Cause you know, we got an opportunity to go for a run here. We got to buy a few players, build to the squad, but he's got to keep every single body they have healthy till the end. So I'm going to go with Tiago Hendo and fab. If all three are healthy on, Saturday afternoon. I agree, actually. So David Cosgrove puts the lineup against Porto. And like I see Arjun in goal. I made my spot as a center back. Lucio Cosgrove is on left back. Uh, Harvey Elliott's crutches on there. Nabi Keita's I mean, to, to be fair, does like a build from the back. So Timuchin. Yeah, I'm there. Bigler, and then you know Balotelli is up front, who's you know uh, doing his thing in Turkey right now. And Carol from the canteen is out there as well, up front as a winger. You know what's pretty insulting over here, Gally? You I'm not out of make this eleven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right. It's all right. Cosgrove does not think you need a run of games. Apparently, <laughs> you're not being used in this lineup. But so I don't know. I mean, obviously, any game we win, we play, we want to win. But I don't think we care as much about the score. I'd be more excited to kind of like what Galley is seeing. See some of these kids out there with a nice, decent blend, no injuries, whatever happens. Uh, it is still a European night, so we do want to get something out of it. But Bickler, the more important game. To me, and I'm assuming obviously to all of us, is the Saturday game against Southampton. Chelsea has a game against United now. We'll see what Carrick does. We'll finish the episode with a, another <laughs> moment of silence maybe for Ole over here. But what do you expect out of the Saturday's game in terms of a scoreline? I mean, you never know. Well, like that's the thing about the Premier League. I go 3-0 here. I, I don't see why we should have a problem with Southampton. Saying that out loud makes me extremely nervous because I'm a very superstitious person. I believe in the power words and also know what a shit show I am in general. So, um, but I'm going to go say 3-0, 3-0. Good guys. I can't, I see a clean sheet in a thorough victory. How about you, Gally? First off, I agree with Cosgrove. I would be the manager. That being said, I would probably be sent off about eight and a half minutes into the game because anyone who's ever seen me on a sideline knows I lose my shit within about a second of one bad call. So I'd be off as soon as some kid got taken down. Well, when I you have Bitcoin in midfield, that will get on your nerves by itself. So what are you yes. going to do? Yes. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I was going to go 3 0, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take it one step further. I'll say 4 0 to one up Paul, but I agree with Paul. I think this is actually going to be a walk in the park, and I hate saying it out loud because it probably means we'll lose now. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I honestly believe that Southampton will be in the midst of a relegation battle when this thing's all said and done. 
I think there's about eight teams in this league that could go down right now. Um, Cause I think we underestimated how much worse everyone else was compared to Watford and Norwich when we thought they were the only two going down. And I think there are a lot of teams right from Southampton to Brentford to Leeds, Norwich and Newcastle. I think any of them could go down at this point. Uh, and I think Southampton's in real trouble. They don't score enough goals. And I think they're going to have trouble with us. Yeah, speaking of people who can go down, Megan says, don't we have Everton midweek next week? That's another one to keep an eye on. Yes, that's another one too. I just feel like, you know, let's get Saturday focused on that one. I know we normally, like Club always talks about, you know, like a game at a time and stuff like that with the lineup. lineup. I just hope he doesn't count Porto as a game game at a time kind of thing and not like put our best lineup out there. But um, I'm still holding my dream of seeing Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich being relegated. But I do agree that there's a lot of teams over there that are kind of in the danger zone. But I will go, since you guys are way too optimistic, somebody has to bring the shit down over here. So I'll go with 3-1 and get rid of the clean sheet that Victor is going with. Uh, and yeah, I do agree though. Whenever we say, whenever we feel like, and that's what I'm afraid with. Like, I'm glad actually Megan brought that up. I just hope, you know, nobody thinks about it. And I don't think this team will, the team is like experienced enough and professional enough to not look ahead to the Derby game and just take care of Southampton first. I just feel like somebody was saying, I remember in like, I think it was in like one of the Liverpool groups and they were asking for like a very kind of like a big game as like, is this a trap game and stuff? And I feel like if anything, this Southampton can be seen as a trap game. If you look ahead. I understand that we consider the fact it's a Derby and it means it's more important and all this stuff. Can we all be honest? If Everton and Southampton were playing this weekend, Southampton would be favored. That I Everton understand that, team, but I feel like all these games a cliche. I they are, which is another joy to watch. Uh, but I feel like you know there is something to be said about these derby games where it does not matter as much. There is a quality difference. Having some just seen, for example, this weekend, you know, Fenerbahce take on Galatasaray, which is just like a brutal derby in Istanbul, and it's. It's probably a bit over the top, really. I mean, you don't finish a game with no red cards and stuff. I think it it does make a big difference for the players involved. It changes that stadium atmosphere. And this one is away, correct? So I think it will still be a tough game. And even when we've had a huge run and stuff, we always had a challenge when we go against Everton. Are we a lot better team? Hell yeah. I mean, on paper, if it was any other team, I just think that it does make a difference when these two teams meet. Not these when these two teams, but any... I mean, look at United and City and how United has done well against City a lot, even though City is, like, way above and beyond the better team. I just think... I don't know what it is. And I know it's a cliche, like, you know, you throw the records away when these two teams meet and stuff, but I feel like there is some truth to it. What do you think, Bickler? Do you agree with my superstition or you're not buying it? No, I agree with that. I think I think in certain matchups, like the rivalry and the energy around the rivalry basically evens it out. It's kind of like the equivalent when, like, I don't know, when you're growing up and you're playing – you st- first start playing competitive soccer, and if you're on a really good team, sometimes you can play a really shitty team, and, like, all of a sudden you're just like, why do we suck all – like, you know, you can almost go down to their level. I think that shit happens in rivalries, like heated rivalries, where I think, like, the – the actual level of play kind of buffers in that middle zone and it's closer. I I agree with that. I just look at the actual talent, the injuries, what they're going through and the moment in which that club is to the fact that they hate their manager. And let's not kid ourselves for a second, people. They hate Rafa Benitez. They hate the style of play they're playing. You can see it on the player's face. They, they, they're, not, they're not giving any effort. I mean, they really look like a team that's quit. And the only player that was really offering anything of any flair was Damari Gray. And he's going to be out for like eight to 10 weeks with a groin injury. They don't expect Dalman and Calvert-Lewin to be back. Luckily, I think Richarlison got got the, the yellow card to guarantee he'd be suspended. So he's available for the Liverpool match because that SOB knows he can't get through a match without a yellow card. And if he hadn't gotten one this weekend, he would have got one on Saturday or Sunday. 
They genuinely look like a group of guys who hate what they're doing. They have no way about them, and their four best players are injured. And Rafa Benitez is their manager, which just means he's going to set up and try to get a nil-nil draw. And after what happened to Van Dyke at Goodison last year and them beating us at, at Anfield, I honestly think we show up midweek, like, trying to get 10. I genuinely believe that. I, I feel better about this Everton Merseyside Derby than I have in a long time because I feel like we have more motivation going into this match than we've had in a long, long time. Like, they beat us and drew with us. Like, they're a big reason we didn't win the title. Like, they took four points off us last year, which is crazy. Yeah, I I understand definitely the motivation parts. I think we will be going there. I just, you know, I, I'm paranoid about, like, Derby games for good reason Fair. over the years. But I do agree that we will definitely be able to take it on. And we might... The way it's going, I would not be shocked if we have a moment of silence for Benitez over here too. But so let's wrap up this week's podcast. Uh, thanks to all the commenters and you know everybody who's regularly listening to us. Do us a favor, give us a share. I hate doing this stuff. That's why we never do it because I hate doing it. Uh, but every freaking video you watch has it. So let's go with the theme over here. Uh, just. Give us a share, a like. It goes a long way. Tell your friends, call people over and stuff like that, and we'll do all that. But this episode, I would like to dedicate to Ole. And end with that, he will definitely be, be missed. And, yeah, it's it's a sad, sad day. But maybe somebody will be working on Photoshop right now, putting Carrick as a clown. So we'll hopefully we'll be featuring that next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And see you guys next week.